podcast series in which we share conversations with interesting and inspiring people in the large yacht industry. In yachting, regulations come from a variety of sources. One of them is the International Maritime Organization, also known as the IMO, which is a specialized agency of the United Nations. The IMO has a particular focus on improving the safety and security of international shipping and preventing pollution from vessels of all kinds. To that latter point, the IMO has a set of emissions standards commonly referred to as the Tier 3 standards, which will begin applying to a significant number of mega yachts starting on January 1st, 2021. There's been a lot of talk about Tier 3 over the past few years within yachting, but unfortunately, few owners and their advisors really understand entirely what it means. So consider today's podcast an Education 101 session. I'm pleased to welcome Chris Swanhart of DLBA Naval Architects to talk about it some more. The design studio has been working closely, not only with yacht builders, but also marine engine manufacturers to tackle some of the biggest challenges head on when it comes to these regulations. Chris is here to help explain in plain English, thankfully, what you all need to know and certainly what I need to know more myself. So, Chris, thanks so much for joining us today, and welcome to Mega Yacht News Radio. Well, thanks for having me, Diane. I appreciate being here. Yeah, this is great. You know, Tier 3 is so confusing for so many people, and um, you know, we really want to kind of lay it out and make it a lot more understandable. So let's just cut straight to the chase. In layman's terms, can you explain what Tier 3 is going to require? Sure, sure, and and I agree with you. Uh, when we when we were starting to look at some of these new requirements about to kick in, we found it a little confusing as well. And there's still some questions that have not been answered fully. So it is a little uh, gray, and um, so hopefully this will help uh, some people understand. So uh, coming in January 1st, 2021, uh, Tier 3 IMO will kick in. And the, the whole point of those is to reduce diesel emissions on uh, recreational vessels. So that's the big change. You know, up to now, for, for many years, these types of requirements and emission requirements have been in place on work boats and commercial vessels. Now they're going to start applying to uh, boats of certain lengths that are recreational vessels. So, you know, large yachts and large sport fishing yachts and anything over certain sizes are going to be impacted by these new IMO requirements. So the the whole goal of them is to reduce nitrogen oxide levels in the, uh, I'm sorry, in the exhaust uh, down to a certain percentage of what they are now with, with current engines. Um, <clears throat> the, the, it's not really power specific as much as it is length specific. And so, um, you know, it, it won't apply to everything, but, uh, you know, medium to larger size yachts, it, it absolutely will impact. Okay, so when you say medium to large size yachts, I know that Tier 3 has already been in place for some of these larger yachts for, say, like a year or so, correct? Yeah, so so what this will apply to is being defined as any any vessel with a load line length of 24 meters or greater. So what that 
generally means load line length can be defined a few different ways, and that's part of the confusion, I think. Um, one of the basic definitions is the, the length from the rudders to the forward stem where the water line crosses the hull. That's a basic definition of load line length. So let's just use that one. There's a couple others that could come into play, but that kind of defines it. So if that length on any recreational vessel is 24 meters or greater, then the new requirements apply will, will apply to that new build. Um, what that means in terms of length overall, a 24-meter load line length is about 78 to 79 feet, and LOA, or length overall, would be about 27 and a half meters or about 90 feet. So the bottom line is any new construction of a yacht 90 feet LOA or greater, these new uh, requirements will, will take hold. Um, now, it doesn't sound like that big of a deal, but it, it really impacts cost. It impacts the amount of systems on the boat. It's a completely new system on, on a lot of these boats that just never had to be there in the past. Uh, it impacts the layouts and the arrangements. Uh, and then the, the materials needed for the systems to work are also in question. That That's a, actually a pretty big question is where, where are those going to uh, be and how, how are people going to get a hold of those? So there's a lot of big impacts uh, because of it, and and like we said, it it kicks in as January 1st of the new year. So um, you know there are some some folks that are trying to get builds started before that deadline so that these new requirements uh, don't apply to them. Right, right. I know some of the semi-custom builders were trying to get some of their newer projects that are about that 90-foot LOA measurement, yep. um, you know, to either side of it really started and uh, and underway so they could at least get, say, two or three hulls um, out and done before the regulations kick in. And I do want to actually go into the materials and the impact on cost and the overall design of the engine room and the boat in a minute. But before we jump into that, there's there's also a misimpression that I even had I didn't realize until just recent weeks that tier three was limited to exclusively to new builds and some refits it sounds like are actually going to be impacted. So can you talk about that a little bit too? Sure. Sure. And that's a great question because I think most people are thinking new build. You're right. Most people are thinking new builds and as the, as the different, rules are stated, it does impact refits. So typically on, re, on repowers, let's say, uh, an older vessel will be getting new engines. And normally those engines, usually you're, you're seeing those engines being increased in power. I mean, that's pretty typical. Any refit that occurs, and again, it has to be yachts over the, the length limit. So we're talking length overall of 90, 90 feet or more. Uh, if they are getting repowered with engines that are not identical to the engines that were originally installed, then it could be uh, it could fall under the the requirements for the new exhaust system. So uh, that it's a little gray. Again, it's a, it's another area that's a bit gray. There are more um, uh, kind of other rules that allow people to kind of get out of it, depending on the engine availability and size of the engine. But generally speaking, it does apply to, to repowers, and uh, so people need to be pretty careful with that. Um, at least be aware that it could apply to them. Um, and like I said, there are some more kind of rules 
involved in the repowers that that allow some boats not to fall under the requirement. So it sounds like it's probably not unlike a lot of regulations. This is something that is is evolving and will continue to evolve as the real world application starts rolling out. In terms of what boats might not have to adhere to the regulation, is it going to be a case-by-case basis where, say, a project manager or someone of that sort would work with the flag state to file a, an exemption, or do they have to go through some other process? Do you know yet, or is it still being worked out? So that, that I think a lot of that is still being worked out, but I think that is kind of the starting point is, is you know, to, to find out early if, if you fall under one of the exemptions and to work with the flag state and, um, uh, you know, in this country, I don't know if, how much the U.S. Coast Guard would get involved, but that's a starting point. And that is one of the questions that we had when we were doing a lot of, uh, you know, the searching for information on this, that we couldn't really get a straight answer. We're, we're not really 100% sure uh, the, that process. So I think, I think you're right. I think it's kind of being developed. But it is important to remember that it's not necessarily just going bigger engines, which is what I said, you know, the typical repower. If you if you decide to go smaller engines and you're still over that length limit, it could still apply. So you know, repowers are are a big challenge. It's tougher to to make these things fit in the existing space than it is to say design around them to begin with. Right, right, and and that's something that we're going to definitely jump into some more detail on in a second. Um, when it comes to adhering to this emission standard, it sounds like, at least right now, the best solution that will work is something called SCR. So again, in layman's terms, can you explain what it is and also address some of the concerns that are around sourcing it in in the yacht's travels and things like that? Sure. So so a couple other, just I'll, I'll just mention them, a couple other possible solutions that exist and that are in place in other types of industries and other types of applications are uh, exhaust gas recirculation, which is a, an on-engine change, you know, that, that requires a, a pretty major engine redesign. Uh, LNG, or liquefied natural gas, is is a much cleaner burning fuel, and that could be an option. But both of those, while they're being used in other places, they would require major changes to engines, and those just are not realistic in the short term for for a solution here. So SCR is is the solution that just about all the engine manufacturers are going with, and that stands for selective catalytic reduction. And, and what that is is a it's an exhaust uh, treatment that occurs downstream from the engine. So it doesn't really require much modification to existing engines, uh, very, very little, in fact. And that treatment occurs downstream in the exhaust. Um, that, that stand, you know, the existing exhaust leaves the engines. Uh, there's a couple, uh, a couple small parts of the system, and then a what's called a diesel exhaust fluid, uh, which in the case of these systems is mostly going to be urea. That is introduced to the exhaust stream through a dosing unit, and that mixture is then fed into a catalyst, and that's where a chemical reaction occurs, and the exhaust is broken down. Uh, and uh, using the ammonia from the urea, the uh, 
nitrogen oxides are reduced to nitrogen gas and CO2 and water, which are much cleaner for the environment. And so it's a very effective system, and it really requires very little change to existing engines. And that's why it's, it's, a, it's a great solution, especially short-term, but even long-term. Uh, the, the NOx levels can be reduced by up to 90%, which is quite significant. Um, so, so all the engine manufacturers are looking at a type of SCR system, uh, you know, with, with slight changes in approaches, of course, but uh, that's pretty much the, the accepted solution to, to the requirements. Right. Now, and are there any concerns about having enough of this urea and, and you know, in supply? Because uh, I, I heard some, some chatter about that, but I wasn't sure if that was actually correct. So that's a big question is urea, you can't just pull up anywhere at a dock and, and say, fill my urea tank up, right? <laughs> right. Uh, it's, not, it's not like diesel fuel. So that is a, a big question is, is the infrastructure to supply the urea needed for these systems, uh, where, where people will get it and, and how to get that infrastructure put in place. So that is a big question that keeps coming up with clients that I deal with you know, and nobody really knows the answers. The, the expected amount of urea, just to give people a, an idea, is roughly up to 5% of your fuel capacity. So uh, that kind of gives you a feel for how much urea you would expect to be on board uh, relative to, you know, your total fuel capacity that, uh, that you have on board right now as well. So that's a big question. It's where it's going to come from. Yep. Yeah, I was going to ask um, if you didn't address, and I'm glad you did. You know, how much of a capacity are these boats going to have to have of urea? Because that's that's obviously another question. Everybody thinks, okay, well, I've got you know, a 10,000 gallon fuel tank or what have you. You know, what else am I going to have to have on board? Am I going to have to have thousands of gallons? Am I am I going to have to have a few hundred gallons? Either way, it's still a concern because the engine room is already pretty tight. So, but it at least gives people an idea of of what they're going to have on board. But when it comes to the consumption of this, let's say it's a, a few hundred gallons that somebody's going to have have to have on board, is there a, a concept of how much of that is going to be consumed on it's hard to say an average, you know, use because every yacht is different, but is there even a, a an idea of a low use to high use consumption of this stuff? Is it something that's gonna to have to be added every couple of months? Once a year, well, it, like it'll, that. sure, it'll get burned at that percentage of your fuel burn. So, if you're burning, let's say on a, I'll speak to you know a sport fishing yacht. Let's say on a sport fishing yacht for a day, let's say they burn. I'm going to pick a round number. Let's say they burn 300 gallons of fuel. They're going to burn more than that. Say 500 gallons of fuel, and then then you're going to use five percent of that 500 gallons of urea for that day. So it, it will, the, that number, that percentage is how much urea you'll be using based on your fuel consumption. So that is something to consider is, is you don't necessarily have to have 5% of your total fuel capacity if, if regular use of the vessel is not using that fuel capacity, right? So you just have to make sure that you can fill up your urea tanks before burning more fuel than what you have urea capacity for. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense, definitely. 
Okay, so it sounds like, in a, in a sense, the good news is that there is a solution available, which is the SCR uh, system. But in a sense, the bad news is that it poses some pretty significant challenges, like you were hinting a few minutes ago, in terms of the cost and in terms of space utilization and design. So can you address how your team at DLBA Naval Architects has been working with some of your clients to, and other industry stakeholders, too, to, to try to solve these, these puzzles? Well, one of the first things we did was went back and identified, uh, you know, which which types of vessels are impacted. And like we said, it's it's pretty much any boat over 90 feet. So, the, the, a big impact. We do a lot of sport fishing yacht design here, and and those engine rooms are ridiculously tight. I mean, there is no ex- existing space not used for something else already. Now, on motor yachts, you might have a little more space and a little more height above the engine, so that affords you a little more freedom but even on motor yachts you, you know it's a well-designed engine space is accessible and you can move around and, and service equipment but there's really not too much unused space so that's a big challenge is and that's why it's a big especially a big impact on on repowers and refits because that space doesn't exist in terms of new designs we looked at a typical sport fish engine room a 90 92 95 footer and depending on the solution, you know, we, we were looking at uh, MTU engines on, on this example, and, and Andrew Boyer was very helpful with us from MTU. He um, provided some information on their systems, and they're providing a couple different options. But it, it really is a volume question. You know, generally speaking, you're going to have to either get taller in your engine room to, to fit the system above the engine, or you're going to, and or you're going to have to add length to the engine room so these yachts be it a sport fish or a motor yacht let's say the owners if they want a hundred footer or 110 or 120 footer they're not probably going to be willing to give up accommodation space they're not going to want to give up fuel capacity they're not really want to going to want to give up anything that they would normally have on an existing hundred footer let's say so to fit the new system in we might be talking about that 100-footer becoming a 106-footer, all in the equipment space so that we can fit the new system and the new components and the new urea tanks, which might not want to go in the engine room. They might need a different space so they can keep cool a little more than what the engine room is. And so it really does have implications on the design and, and finding a home for these new things. The... Um, some other impacts of it in terms of the design and, and the build and cost and things that there is a weight impact um, probably on the order on these boats and, and engines of this size you're talking a few thousand pounds of, of weight impact so on slower boats that's that's not too big of a deal but on high performance yachts that are going you know high speed that's absolutely an impact on their performance and and fuel burn and, and things like that so that's something to consider the um, the cost impact is absolutely not insignificant. So we've been told the cost impact could be a third to a half of the total engine cost for these boats. So that's a lot of money. I mean, that's on on larger 16-cylinder um, MTUs. You know, you're talking for a package over a million dollars, and so a th- even a third of that is is a lot more money up front 
uh, for this added system. And then one of the other things we already kind of mentioned is the urea capacity and, and finding uh, how much you need and being able to refill your urea tanks uh, as well as, uh, you know, where they go. The, the urea doesn't like to get too hot, and so we don't want we want to keep it as cool as we can, and these engine rooms get pretty warm. So you might need to actually find someplace else for the tanks themselves or uh, insulate them heavily. That's one other. That's one other thing to consider. Are these systems get super hot? So there's a lot of insulation that's required around the around the uh, SCR components. They put off a lot of heat, a lot of added heat uh, that goes right into the engine space. So a lot of insulation is required around these systems, which take up that much more volume, even. So those are some of the the direct impacts, and and really. From a design standpoint, the biggest one is is the space needed. You you have to either get taller and or longer just to fit the system in. Right. That the the issue of the space it was making me wonder. In terms of, say, an owner doesn't want to go longer. Um, I was thinking in in a few years, in a few cases, a few years ago, there were some larger yachts, I would say, you know, yachts around that 500 gross ton uh, volume, ballpark 150 feet or so, where they had a, a raised area on the main aft deck, almost like a, a mini mezzanine, if you will, for a dining area or a seating area. Is mm-hmm. is it something along those lines where it would be slightly elevated, or are we talking something like two feet extra of space? Well, I think on the, on the motor yachts, it's it's not as much of an impact in terms of height on some of the sport fishing yachts, you know, they, they really try to keep the the deck above the salon deck above the engines as low as possible. Now on boats this size, they're not as low as they're not as close to the engines as some of the somewhat smaller boats, but they're probably not tall enough to, to fit the, the on, on top of the engine option in there. So, you know, I, I don't think it's – you're probably not talking that much of a height difference, um, but it will impact the look of the boat for sure. And if you want to go the other option, you know, that that's just one option from one manufacturer. Everybody's doing it a little differently. If you're not going on top of the engine, then, then you have to – there's going to need to be more length in there, which is what we found, several several feet of length added without losing accommodation space or, or fuel space or, you know, giving up something else, which, which most owners won't be willing to do. And so like a lot of rules, you know, there's ways around it and, and one way around it will be not designing a boat that big, you know, designing it to be just under the requirement. And hopefully people will will look past that and, and we'll see some boats still, you know, near the edge. I think, I think the larger boats, they're larger anyway, and, and they'll continue to happen. But you might start seeing some new builds that fall right in under that 24-meter load line length limit. And so they won't have to deal with, with this type of uh, system at all. Right. The next few months, I think, will be uh, you know the proof of the pudding, so to speak. We'll, we'll see what consumers' view is and their reaction and their, their tolerance, really, for what they're going to have to do or or what they can do and see how the industry can, you know, can accommodate them for the owners who are, are willing to go ahead and make the, the space changes, um, you know, 
once we can see the designs and once we can walk around the boats and see the solutions that will also perhaps change a few attitudes and, and, uh, you know, six months to a year from now, we'll see what happens as well. Who knows? There might be some other solution that comes along. Um, but it's, it's great that you are able to really explain so much of this so clearly because it's been so confusing for so many people, even people in the industry who I've talked with, I've said, okay, can you explain this to me? I understand the basics of what the, the, the goal is, the emissions reduction, but how? How is this going to work? How is it going to impact design? And even just a few months ago, some people said to me, you know what? We just haven't figured it out yet. So it, it definitely is something that is a work in progress from, from what I can tell. And, and I know you guys at DLBA have been working really hard with the Sparkfish Builders and the other stakeholders. So I really appreciate the time that you took today to come and explain all this and educate everybody. It's very much needed. Well, yeah, thank you. It was my pleasure. I think, uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a good thing in the end. With a cleaner, cleaner exhaust means cleaner water, means cleaner environment, and all of those things are are important. You know, it's, it's easy to look at it as a negative, but I think it, in the in the long run, it's a it's it's a good thing. Um, you know, cars used to not have things like catalytic converters on them, which are exhaust control systems, and and now we don't even think twice about those. Every car has one. And so this is, I think, just the next step in, in terms of trying to, to better our environment. And I, I, I try to look at it as a positive. So hopefully more and more people will look at it that way and, and, and we'll work through it. Right, absolutely. And, and like you mentioned before, there are some other solutions like LNG. Even though it's not really um, in the recreational world, it's, it's definitely proven. It's been used in the commercial world for a while. So as technology evolves, as our own learning evolves, you know, who knows, maybe within a few years that'll start trickling down into yachting and, you know, we might look back at one point and say, oh, yeah, remember the days when we only had diesel fuel and, you know, 99% right. of the books running around using LNG or something at that point. So, you know, it, right. it's a constant evolution for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there's there's the uh, potential for something like that. There's, you know, electric. There's all kinds of things that will, over time, I think, start start being used more and more and become more commonplace. But the SCR system is a good, you know, short-term and could be a long-term solution. It, it allows us to move forward almost right away, and, and then we'll see uh, how things evolve into the next steps from there. Right. Right. It's a starting point for sure. Well, thanks again, Chris. Really appreciate it. Everyone, if you want to get in touch with Chris and the team at DLBA Naval Architects, you can visit their website, which is dlba-inc.com. That wraps up this episode of Mega Yacht News Radio. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please share the word on social media, plus subscribe to our feed automatically. You can do so on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Google Play Music. And of course, if you'd like to learn more about what's going on in the world of large yacht cruising, new construction and design, you can check out our daily updated website, which is megayachtnews.com. Until next time, I'm Diane Byrne.